0: Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, that's where we'll be, uh, we'll be at for, the text th- uh, for our text this morning. Uh, Paul was writing to a church there in Galatia. Uh, that was kind of composed of some people who were questioning the power of Jesus Christ. They didn't question the power of Jesus to save, but they questioned the power of Jesus to sustain our salvation. The Judaizers basically were saying that, yeah, Jesus can save you. When he died on the cross, his blood covers your sins. But if you want to stay saved or if you want to prove your salvation, you have to fulfill this checklist of obligations and things and these outward shows of your faith. There's nothing wrong with people seeing our faith, but when we're doing it so that we can seal our faith or get something that only Jesus can provide, we have missed the mark. And that's kind of where the Galatians were at. And so Paul writes this letter to correct that, for lack of a better word, and it really is what it is, that heresy, anything that pulls us away from Jesus as being all that we need is heresy. And so that's what Paul was, was kind of writing. As we come to the last chapter of the book, um, and uh, many of you, you know this, if you're a, um, you know, if you, if you know much about Bible history and how we came to get the scriptures, those numbers and verses, you know, the original writers didn't break everything down into chapters and verses and things. And so today is one of those rare times when we're going to look at the last portion of chapter five because it flows and continues the idea into chapter six this morning. So I want to look beginning in verse number 24 of Galatians chapter 5 and then we'll read through Galatians chapter 6 verse number 10. It says this in the beginning in verse number 24. It says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and with desires. Remember the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. We have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. No one would ever become conceited, right? We don't know anybody, especially, especially Christians who would become conceited or arrogant or self-righteous or anything like that, right? Um, that's just that, that's that, that's those other churches out there, not Graceway, right? We've got it all figured out. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and the idea is provoking one another to anger or provoking one another to any type of evil. And do not envy one another. Now we look in chapter 6, and he's continuing this thought, and he says, don't do these things in chapter 5. In verse number 1 of chapter 6, he starts looking at what can we do for one another. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted Carrying one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work. And then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired or weary of doing good or well-doing, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up or if we faint not. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will be our teacher. I pray this morning that... Lord, as your messenger, that I would submit to your authority as you lead and as you guide. We have come here as hungry people needing to be fed by your word. Lord, I don't know what kind of week everybody in this room has had or everybody watching in here has had, but for some people, maybe this has been a mountaintop week. For others, it may have been a valley week. For others, it may have just been a, you know, just any old regular week. But God, it doesn't matter what kind of week we had. We know that this was the, this past week and the week we're heading into is one where you have always been and always will be on the throne. So Father, I pray that you would fix our eyes upon you, that you would fix our spirits upon you, that you would put in us a holy craving for more of you and less of us and less of the flesh that, that steeps and kind of sits and wells up with inside of us and does battle with our spirit. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your word as we submit ourselves to you now. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. How many of you are familiar with the name General William Booth? General William Booth. Some history buffs might and those who are kind of into 1800s English Methodist preachers. If that's like your, if that's your jam, if that's what you like to study, you probably know who General William Booth is. But if that's not your, if that's not your vibe, then, uh, you know, um, you probably don't know who he is. But how many of you at Christmas time recognize the red kettles outside the stores with the bell ringers? All right. Those are there largely because of General William Booth. General William Booth in the 1800s founded the Salvation Army. General Booth was a, he became known as a general in the Salvation Army. It wasn't really a military rank. They kind of just, you know, gave him that nickname of general. But uh, Pastor Booth was a Methodist pastor who in the city of London in the 1800s noticed the poverty and noticed all of the things that were going on around him and felt compelled because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and because of all he'd been given, both materially but more so spiritually, Through his relationship with the Lord, he felt it important to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people and to also follow the example of Christ who fed the 5,000. And so he looked to meet physical needs at the same time that he was bringing the gospel to meet the spiritual needs as well. And so the Salvation Army became a thing there in London. Over the years and over the decades it began to grow and it became an international ministry and it continues today as the Salvation Army and it continues to kind of follow that same vision and that same, that same idea of taking the gospel and taking physical and spiritual help in tandem with one another to show the love of Christ. That's what you do when you put in your coins or your dollar bills or, or whatever it is that you have when you're walking past those red kettles. You're helping to meet needs and you're helping to... Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. But in 1912, Pastor Booth was kind of nearing the end of his life and he fell ill and it was an illness that he would not recover from. He would eventually lose his life from. But in 1912, they were holding the International Global Convention of the Salvation Army. It had grown to be a global ministry and he could not attend because of his illness. So he cabled a message to the floor and to the floor of the delegates of the convention. And so his son stood, who would be his successor, his son stood up in front of the convention of Salvation Army members and he read his father's message, which was just one word. That word was simply others. It was reported there in the newspapers there in London because it was a huge gathering of people and it made the news. It was reported that after... The message from their founder was read, that one word message, that it brought such conviction upon people that they began to fall to their knees in prayer, some repenting of their heart, their hard hearts towards other people. An organization that was supposed to be simply about others had to be reminded of what it was about. We oftentimes have to be reminded, first of all, to turn off your cell phones if you need to. Um, Second of all, we have to be reminded many times of what we're about. We have to course correct. We have to recalibrate oftentimes. And so, this message this morning, I hope, is kind of a recalibration for us because it's really easy as we go throughout our day to day lives and deal with our day to day things and our stresses and all those things. It's really easy to look at the Word of God, which screams to us that we are to be about Him and to be about others first. It's really easy to lose that, that bearing, isn't it? So, this chapter that we read this morning and this passage of Scripture that we see this morning reminds us. That we're not supposed to be about ourselves, that we're supposed to be about other people. Dr. Warren Wearsby, who is um, who's a pastor who wrote a commentary that I go to so many times when I'm studying and preparing because he just, I love the way that he writes in such a practical way and he expounds upon scripture. Warren Wearsby says about this passage, he says that others is one of the key phrases of the Christian's vocabulary. It is to be one of the key phrases of the Christian's vocabulary. Simply that word, others. I wonder though sometimes, how often does the thought of others run through our minds as children of God today? For me personally, it doesn't run through my mind near as much as it should. I wish that more of my day was about others and less of my day was about me. You say, well, you're a minister. It's supposed to be. I know, but it's still that fight, right? It's that fight constantly to make our life about other people. See, love one another is a phrase that we find at least a dozen times in the New Testament. Along with the words, pray for one another in the book of James chapter 5. In First Thessalonians, we see the command to edify or build one another up. In Romans, we see that we're to prefer or honor one another. In First Peter, it says we are supposed to be hospitable towards one another. And there's so many other like commandments and admonitions throughout the New Testament that reminds us as the church of Jesus Christ, we are not here for us. We're here for his glory and we're here for the world who doesn't know him. So in our text, we see that the Apostle Paul deals further with the subject of others, particularly the believer's ministry to other people. Now, the way that we relate to, our, to us within the body of Christ is something that is important because the others outside the body of Christ are supposed to see how we love one another inside the body of Christ so much so that they crave that themselves, that they want to be a part of it. In other words, we're supposed to be contagious with our faith. We talk a lot about, we, talk, we learned a lot about contagious stuff, right, in the last year and a half, right? And with the Delta variant on the rise again, it seems like this is a more contagious variant of the coronavirus. We've learned a lot about what it means to be contagious. What if our faith was contagious? You see, that's supposed to be the nature of our faith. When Jesus said we're supposed to be the light and the salt of the earth, that we're supposed to, you know, just spill out upon the world, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will compel them to come to him, we're supposed to be contagious. But a lot of times, instead of being contagious, we're just cantankerous. And we're off-putting and people want to run away. And a lot of times what we do is we make ourselves feel better. Well, they just can't handle the truth. They don't like the truth. They don't want the truth anymore. So I'll just throw my hands up. We need to take a close look at ourselves to say, is it Christ in me that they're offended by? Or is it me offending them in Christ? Anybody else feeling good about yourself right now? Yeah, this is how I felt when I was preparing this week. Love one another, be hospitable to one another, use hospitality for one another, prefer one another. In the past several weeks, we've examined Galatians 5, particularly as it relates to the freedom of Christ. We have a great freedom that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. And the question is, what am I going to do with the freedom that Christ gave to me? Christ had an others first mentality. And so did he give, did he come for me so that I could just live for myself? I find it hard to believe that. And I do not find it backed up in any verse of scripture that Jesus saved me just so I could just be all about Derek. He didn't do that. He saved me so that I could be all about him and that as I'm all about him, I show others him as well. See, it's freedom from sin in verse number one of chapter five. We looked at the fact that the freedom that Christ gives us is a freedom from legalism, from putting ourselves under this just yoke of law and constant shame and condemnation. It's a freedom from the tyranny of the flesh. And a lot of times when we consider the flesh and our fleshly desires, we still as believers don't look at our temptations as something that is, is, is tyrannous. We look at it as something that that's something I want to do. It's something I still want to serve. But the freedom that Christ gives us is actually to walk, as the Bible says, in step with the Spirit in chapter 5. Chapter 5 also says it's the freedom... To be others minded. I believe that chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 are basically the bones that all of the meat of chapters 5 and 6 hang on. It's got like this gravitational force that pulls all of the other ideas and all of the other encouragement from the chapters together. I want to look at it one more time. So look back at Galatians 5, verse 13. It says, You were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. But serve one another through love. I wonder why Paul would put in there, don't use your freedom to just go pursue your flesh. Because Paul was tempted to do that as well. It's not just something new for us as modern believers. It's something that's a constant struggle for the believer. That as I'm saved and as I pursue the spirit, the flesh will rear its head and try to continue to to pull me and call me over here and tempt me over here. And it will tempt me to think that God is restricting me, not setting me free. But he says, you've been called to be free, but don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. And then he gives us the remedy for not being selfish jerks. He says, if you don't want to be a selfish jerk, serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. So here we see one of the main themes of Scripture reiterated. Don't be all about yourself. Be about others for the glory of Christ. That's what our life is supposed to be about. It's a main theme of Scripture because we have to be reminded of it time and time and time and time time again because we so quickly forget it. Because remember, we're sheep. We are not smart. I'm not saying that. Jesus said it about all of us. This is why we're told to keep in step with the spirit. It's an intentional response every single day. I have to choose flesh or spirit in my life. What will I choose? See, to be Christ-like is to be others-minded. It just simply is. We cannot say, I'm as selfish as the day is long and it makes me so much like Jesus. I just consume and, and, and go after everything that I want and it, it, I just, I've never felt like I'm closer to Christ, to the image of Jesus. I look at my salvation as a get out of hell free card and that means that I can do whatever I want to and I'm still gonna go to heaven. And God is so happy with that. You see that contradicts the whole purpose of Jesus shedding his blood upon the cross. Amen. See to be spirit led is to think of others and how we can minister to them. So today I want to look at several ways that we can freely serve others. We've been set free so that we can serve. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? But we've been set free so that we can serve. And we've got to move quick because I've got five points and about 20 minutes or 15 minutes to do so. Right. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 reminds us that we should restore others. The way that I serve other people is that I am involved in the work of restoration. Look at verse number 1 again. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore that person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you yourself won't be tempted. Restoration is a ministry and is a work of the body of Christ that is often overlooked. It's not just a work. It's not just an option. It's something that we're commanded to do. The church of Jesus Christ is commanded to restore those who are broken in sin. It tragically oftentimes goes undone because believers are commanded to restore a brother or sister who is, as the word says, overtaken by sin and by wrongdoing. But too often, instead of restoring our brothers and sisters or instead of calling people to restoration in Jesus Christ, what we do is we try to shame and we guilt and we look down our nose and we ostracize and we shun saying, they may dirty me up so I better stay away. Now there's a level of truth to that as well, but there's also what we cannot miss is the call to restore those who have fallen into sin or those who have veered off the path of righteousness. So how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul writes it right here in the word. He says, restore others with a gentle spirit. That means any work of restoration that we do that includes arrogant or conceited judgment or shame or guilt or anything like that is not restoration with a gentle spirit. We must restore with a gentle spirit. That phrase, overtaken in any wrongdoing, in the original language, it paints the picture not of a sadistic serial sinner, that doesn't care that what he's doing is wrong, never intended to do what was right in the first place, and anything you try to do to restore, they don't care about anyway. It's talking about a brother or sister who has just somehow, some way, lost sight of Jesus in their, in their lives and they veered off the path and they are teachable in their spirit. It means that we look at them like the shepherd looks at us. Listen, this is where we get the idea of Jesus leaving the 99 to go after the 1. If Jesus wasn't a restoring savior, none of us would still be here. But he calls the church to do the work of restoration as well. The question is, how eager are we to restore? A surefire way to spot the heart of a legalist Or someone who has become conceited in their faith, like it said in our text as well. Or Christian arrogance is how we treat those who have sinned. Just like the Pharisees who dragged the woman who was caught in adultery before Jesus. Or the person who instead of talking to a brother or sister who has maybe sinned or who looks like they're struggling, finds it more more constructive to talk to everybody else in the church about what that person's doing. Don't tell me that doesn't happen. We see it happen all the time. This is why we see the warning in verse number three, that considering ourselves to be something when we really are nothing is deceiving ourselves. The work of restoration is dangerous work, but it's necessary work. It's dangerous to those who even consider themselves to do the work of restoration because Satan and temptation is always lurking in the midst to pull us away from the fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and all of those things and pull us into the place of selfish ambition like we looked at in chapter 5 last week or of harshness or of judgmentalism or any of those types of things. See, restoration we see is its necessary work. That word restore there when it says restore the brother or sister in the original language it paints this picture of a doctor who sets a broken bone back into place. How many of you have ever broken a bone in your life? Have you ever noticed that when you break a bone your body doesn't work properly? It just feels like something is out of order. I don't want to embarrass her but Noelle my sweet little girl. I got one sweet little girl and another sweet teenager now. Um, But anyway, I don't want to embarrass you at all. But Noelle broke her arm a couple of years ago, and she broke because she takes after her dad, so she's left-handed, which is what all good people are. Um, That's why there's not very many of us. Um, She broke her arm, and she had to wear this cast. that covered all the way up to her wrist, and the poor thing, I watched her as she had to go through eight weeks of school trying to learn to write with her right hand or trying to force it. It's tough. Her body wasn't working the way it should have. This is what it looks like To God, this is the picture that is being painted when, as believers, we help to restore a brother or sister. Because, as the body of Christ, when one of us falls into sin or when one of us is walking far from the Lord, it's like a bone that is out of joint and the body doesn't work like it should. So, as we do that work of restoration, it's like setting that bone back in place. And if you've ever had a bone set back in place, that initial setting does not feel good, right? See, a lot of the reasons that we don't we, 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 we navigate away from that work of restoration because it's, it's not comfortable. If you're like me, you're a non-confrontational person and a lot of times restoration begins with that initial, hey man, how you doing? I noticed that something's going on and I just want to be here for you and talk to you about it. And you don't know what's going to happen after that, right? It's that initial setting that back into place. That's why it said to do so with a gentle spirit. Do so with a spirit of humility as well. See, restoration is necessary work, but it's also spiritual work. And this is why the Bible says those of you who are spiritual do that work of restoration. But what does it mean to be spiritual? There are moments in my life and there are moments in your life when you are more spiritual than you are at other times. What this means is that work of restoration is not something that's just done by one person in the church at all times. Because that person may be more or less spiritual at any given time. It's those who God gives that discernment to through their walk with Christ to care for that brother or sister. There are going to be times when we may be the spiritual ones doing the work of restoration. And there are also going to be times when we may need to be the, when we're the ones who are overtaken needing the work of restoration to be done in our lives. But that's the beauty of the body of Christ and the family of God is that we look out for one another. We care for one another. We help to lift one another up and we restore one another when we struggle. But the important thing to remember is that we must do that work. Restoration is also a humble work to do. It's a humble work to do. He says, do it with a gentle spirit. Gentleness is one of those fruits of the spirit that we looked at last week, and it denotes that gentleness denotes a humility in our spirit. It's the idea of, I'm not going at this brother or sister because guns a-blazing because I'm looking down on them, and I can't believe how they could be so egregious. It's because if it were not for the grace of God, there go I, and I love that person. I'm not going to shame. I'm not going to rebuke. I'm not going to do any of those things in an evil spirit or in a judgmental spirit. I'm going because I love and because I've been called by God to do that work of restoring my brother, not driving them away. See, this is how we serve one another in the church. It's not popular, it's not flashy, it's not one of the cool ways to do it. It's a whole lot easier to just bring another helping of coleslaw at the potluck and say, man, I served my brother and sister, but this is also a work, it's a work of restoration. So to be others-minded means I need to be ready to restore rather than ready to pounce when a brother or sister is down. The second thing that we have to do, I told you we have to move fast, and we're not, is to help others. Restore others, and then to help others. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 2. Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now for the kids who have the kids the kids' bulletin and they're filling it out or doing the coloring sheet, on the one side you got that backpack right there. This is what I think of when I think of a burden. If you're kind of thinking of what is a burden, it's like a weight that you carry around. You're getting ready to fill your backpack up with a bunch of books that you do not want to read, right? But your teachers are going to make you, right? And poor thing, some of you, you've had to read books this summer. I just think that's wrong. That's just a, a horrible injustice to all students everywhere, right? But this is the idea of burden bearing, Says bear one another's burdens. It's not saying that I lift up somebody's and I carry the load of everyone so everybody else can just walk around freely. It's that I help someone out in their load. Sometimes our load gets too heavy to bear. Anybody experienced that in your life? And to look at a person and say, man, that's tough on you. I'll just you know, go on and be fed or go on and do whatever you need to do and just say, you know, I'll just stay over here and be holy and, um, you know, I'm, I'm cheering for you. Sometimes the cheerleaders need to step up and help carry the bag. Doesn't mean I carry the bag so no one ever has to. It's I help to carry when my brother or my sister can't. Once upon a time, back when I was in high school or in college and in my early 20s before I got married and, and happy and let myself go. Um, I used to go to the gym. I know, look at me. I know. It was a long, long time ago. But when I used to go to the gym, I used to, you know, lift weights. And anybody knows that the ultimate weight lifting exercise is the bench press. Everybody's always asking when you get to the gym, you're like, yo man, where's the bench? You know, and they're like, how much do you bench? Do you bench your body weight? And I'm like, I don't know. Let me lay, and can you, you're like, can you bench your body weight? I don't know, can you bench my lay across your arms and see if you can lift me up? But for some reason, benching is something that's important. Now, as anybody that knows me, and this is something I'm still working on spiritually because it really is a thing of pride, is I don't like to ask for help in anything. I like, I, I don't know, I feel guilty asking for help. I feel like somebody will think I'm lazy or whatever. I don't like to ask for help. So what does Derek do when he goes to bench press? Derek puts all the weights on because he's a big stud and he begins to lift the weights. But there's these things at the gym called spotters. Anybody ever used a spotter before? Uh, Were there times when I would put too much weight on the bar? Absolutely. Were there times when I would lift that weight and I should have asked for a spotter and when it went down to my chest, I find myself pinned under that bar and my legs are flailing everywhere because I'm pinned down and somebody had to come back behind me and just lift it up and help me out and look at me like, what are you stupid for, man? You need a spotter. The idea of burden bearing is that same idea, is that sometimes we need spotters in in our walk with Christ. We need someone who will help, not to come and lift all the weight, but there are times as we are struggling, we need somebody who will come along and share that load with us. The question is, are you looking for spiritual spotters in your life? I think we all need spiritual spotters. We all need someone who's helping to pour into our lives and helping to disciple us. But we also need someone that we are pouring into as well. The question is, do you have a spotter and are you spotting someone else? See, let me tell you the real reason that I didn't always ask for a spotter is because I didn't want to spot other people. I wanted to get in, get my work done, and move on. Because normally when spotters will do that, they'll say, now will you spot me? And you gotta sit there and you gotta wait. And I'm like, I don't want to wait. I want to get my stuff done. And I get myself in trouble. Christianity... And this is hard for us in our Western minds to get. The Christian faith is not to be a one man journey. It's to be a community journey. We can't do this alone. And so Paul is saying, you need one another. Help to bear your burdens I like what Dr. Tony Evans says about this verse. Burdens don't necessarily imply only a person's sin. Burdens of life can include all sorts of weighty problems of our life. Maybe it's a physical problem. Maybe it's a relational problem. Maybe it's a financial issue, an emotional issue. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's something that is going on in your life that you feel like you are crushed under the weight and you will forever be crushed under that weight until you get some help to lift it. Verse 2 is telling us that we all need spiritual spotters and that we all need to seek to be spiritual spotters because I can tell you without fear of thinking I'm wrong here, someone in your life needs you to spot for them. Someone in this church needs you to spot for them. You're out there watching right now on live stream and this has been hard, all of this time of distance and all of that and maybe you're still wondering, is it okay to come around? and You still need someone to spot for you. You still need it. Someone needs you to pray for them or pray with them. Someone needs you to spend time with them, being a listening ear or a shoulder to cry on. Someone needs you to help them in a sticky situation. Somebody might need some financial assistance. They may need you to be there to just listen or to be there. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, we serve others by helping to bear one another's burdens. Bearing one another's burdens is not just a commandment. Here's a benefit of it. It will fulfill the law of Christ in our lives. If we're constantly wondering sometimes, am I making God happy? Am I being Christ-like in my life? Am I representing Jesus? We'll never represent Jesus more practically than when we are reaching our hands out to serve other people. This is why I'm thankful for our blessing bag ministry. I'm thankful for the ministries that we do to try to help people with physical needs, with helping with meals. Look, we're a small church. Our resources are often limited, but we need to do the most we can with what we have, and God will bless that. The question is, what are we doing to help others? The law of Christ was reiterated in chapter five when it says for us to love one another. What is the law of Christ? He says, bear one another's burdens and you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says this, I give you a new command, love one another. Just like I've loved you, you are to love one another. Okay, so I'm supposed to love people like Jesus loves them. Well, what does that mean? If you're struggling with understanding how to love people, looking for ways to love other people, here's how we get a more loving heart. We let Jesus love us more. We turn our eyes to how Jesus loves us. I think sometimes we just turn a blind eye to how good God has been to us. And we look at it and think, man, God owes this to me. Look, God doesn't owe us anything. He definitely didn't owe us his son. I'm gonna say that again. Because I think we're struggling with that today in 2021. God doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe you anything. He definitely didn't owe us his son. That's why he's such a gift. That's why he is the Rose of Sharon. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the priceless pearl. Because we don't deserve it. He didn't owe it. He gave it. And this is the way we often live our lives and relate to people is what? why do I owe you anything? Look, we don't owe each other anything except for the the power of the cross and the love of Jesus Christ compels me to be a debtor of grace to my brother and sister. But too often we're like, man, it's just all about me. It's about my right. It's about what's infringing upon me man, I'm just glad that Jesus didn't worry about his personal rights and privileges on the day of the crucifixion. Because if he did, we'd all be in trouble. By the way, we're not getting through the whole sermon. So if you're worried, are we ever gonna leave? We're not. Turning this one into another two-parter as well. A new command I give you to love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Members of the church of Jesus Christ should be able to count on one another. We should. Let me say this. If the members of the church can't count on each other, how are the people in the community outside the church supposed to trust the church that they can count on us? We're getting ready to head into this gospel to every home. I am praying that we see our community revitalized by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the question that haunts me right now is, what if they all come? And I don't mean haunted like, oh, I'm scared. What do we do? Are we prepared to love and to bear burdens that's why I'm saying every member involvement, every person, every person catching this vision of people need Jesus. But guess what? When people get Jesus, they bring their bags with them. And we have to be prepared to help bear one another's burdens. And you may be sitting there right now saying, But I got my own bags, I got my own stuff going on. That's cool because there's going to be somebody else that can help bear your burdens and there's somebody else that can help bear and somebody else that can help bear and never forget that the power of the holy spirit lives within inside of us that is a supernatural power as well restoring one another calling out and saying man I care about you too much to just see you go down this path But that requires a humble spirit knowing that if it's not for God's grace, I'd be there too. Or one day I might be there and I want somebody to care about me enough to say, hey, let's talk. Let's go to coffee. Let's spend some time together. And then to bear each other's burdens as well. Now next week, we'll get into looking at personal responsibility and some other things as well. But I think... I don't know about you, but I've just kind of felt the Spirit speaking this morning. And I think this is a place where we need to stop and just, like the Psalms say, say law. Let's stop and breathe and let's think about what God has spoken to us today. See, one of the core values of Graceway Church is community. You see it on the door when you walk in. Truth, love, community. We value truth as God's Word. That is the changing catalyst that we use To minister, It's the truth of God's word that sets us free. We value love because it's the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts that we're to share with others and we are to value community as well that we can't love in a vacuum. We just can't. We need one another and we need to be about the community that is around us as well. We must be tuned in to helping bear one another's burdens. Something else happens when we bear each other's burdens. Those who don't know Christ begin to take notice as well. I pray that as people begin to hear about Graceway, as we begin to go out and gospel to every home, I pray that they begin to hear that this is a church that as the neighbors talk to you, did you get a bag on your door? Yeah, I got a bag on my door. And I actually, you know, our family and I, we we went over there to a service. And let me tell you, man, that pastor ain't very good looking. <laughs> man'. Yeah. That worship team, they do their best. But let me tell you something. I never felt more loved. I never felt more welcomed. And those people are different. And I think it's because of Jesus that they were telling us about. When we love one another, I believe Jesus said this, right? He said, the world will know that you're mine by the way you love each other. I ask you this. And I bring this up just about every service because it's the culture and it's just the language of our culture that we live in. When you look on social media, you see the 24-hour news cycle. Does it look like we love each other? It doesn't. And I'm not saying this like, I, I feel like I don't want to come across like this condescending father figure up here. I'm just saying we, we're all in this. Does it look like we love each other? It really doesn't. What if we became more known by our love and by who we're for than by everything and everyone that we're against? Listen, we can still have our standards and stand firm on what the word of God says without being jerks about it. We really can't. We really can't. I don't know why, I just feel led that we as a church should pray congregationally just for God to just pour his spirit of love and sacrifice out on us so that we become a people that are willing to restore one another, willing to help each other and then we'll look at the rest of it next Sunday as well. But as we bow our heads and close our eyes and go into a time of response, I ask you two questions like I ask you every Sunday. Number one, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you followed Christ? Understand this, that all of this talk about restoring and all of this talk about bearing burdens, Jesus is the one who set, who set the bar. He's the one who modeled it all for us. He's the great restorer. He restores us when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. He made restoration available. He made salvation available to us. When we could not restore ourselves, Jesus came to restore us. Restore us to a relationship with God. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He's the great restorer. Have you been restored? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted in him? Have you looked at Jesus to see how beautiful he is and what he's done for you and your need for him? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if this is the first time you're hearing about God's grace, the Bible says this, Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he died for your sins. That you can't pay for him yourself. Only Jesus could do that. And while our sins were many, his grace is more. You may say, you have no idea where I've been or what I've done or who I've done it with. I don't need to. Jesus already knew it when he was on the cross and he covered it. But you must come to him. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, come today. Let's talk. Even if it's after the service, whatever it is, if, you have a, if you're worshiping with us virtually, email us or comment there. Send us a message on Facebook. We want to talk to you about how you can know Christ as your Savior if you have questions about your faith. So the first question is, do you know Christ? The second question is, this morning, are we acting like him? If you know Christ, are you acting like him? Are we doing that work of restoration? We don't go to a cross to cover a person's sins, but we do come and we love them and we talk with them and we help to disciple. We don't just avoid or shun or say, well, that person must be done. We leave the 99 and we go after the one. We need some folks who are the spiritual that will do the work of restoration. You might be here this morning. You're saying, I'm the, one, I, I'm, the, I'm the one who's struggling and I need the work of restoration in my life. Let's talk. Let's talk. And If you're here today, are we helping to bear one another's burdens? Maybe you've closed your eyes. Maybe you're so zoomed in on your own things that are going on that you can't see anything else. It's like blinders or tunnel vision. Ask for the eyes of Jesus. And if you're in a trench and if you're struggling, call out. Say, I need help. Like me laying on that bench, struggling. Somebody thankfully saw me struggling and helped me. We need eyes to see the struggle, but we also need voices that will call out in the struggle so that we can come running. So let's do business with God this morning. Thank you for listening today.